0: For these first few weeks of the year, we've been talking about power couple. How do you have a super marriage? How do you how do you take it to the next place? There are four different muscles we've been talking about that you need to you need to work on you got to build you got to strengthen we talked about the power the first week the power of intentionality keeping your marriage at the very highest priority of your life then we talked about the power of the shared vision where a husband and wife come together with this idea what do what do we want our marriage what do we want our family what do we want our life to look like in five years 10 years 20 years we get to that point of retirement, what do we want it to look like? And working together, now figuring out the next steps that we need to be taking. Last week we talked about the power of oneness. So coming together both in our spirit, we're both depending upon Jesus as our sufficiency and we're leaning in Him together, soul oneness, that we become the hands and feet of Jesus to one another, serving one another, and then of course body oneness, that beauty of the intimacy that God has put into marriage. Lastly, this morning we're going to talk about the power of grace. Now one thing, because last week I don't know, oh I didn't even bring my phone up here, oh well, that's okay. Because I did last service and it went off halfway through. Probably, I, I know who it was. But anyway, um, somebody came up last week. I must have been piling through this and they missed some of the notes that I put up here. If you go to our Desert Springs app and you got that on your phone and you open it up on the bottom, the second one over says weekend. If you hit weekend and then it gives you like, I think there's four things there. If you go sermon notes... Everything I put up here, along with the text, is there. So there you go. You're welcome. All right. So if you got your Bibles this morning, we are in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 15, story you're probably familiar with. It's most probably known by the story of the prodigal son. Maybe a better title would be the, the story of the loving father. But Jesus told this story, Luke 15, 11, if you'll follow along as I read it. A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine and he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating but no one was giving anything to him but when he came to a sentence, he said how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread but I'm dying here with hunger I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called one of your sons. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead. And has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Today I want to talk about some graces. That we need to allow God to build into our life. And we're going to have a super marriage. And the first grace that I want to talk about. Is the grace to own your own. To own your personal brokenness. Now I I struggle with how to express it. uh, Because the whole idea here is we will often own. The other person's brokenness, but owning our own is difficult. And yet that takes, that is something that is so important. You see, our self-centeredness blinds us so often to our failures. You know, it's the idea is we're having trouble in my marriage because of my wife. Or we're having trouble in my marriage because of my husband. Or if you just knew them, you'd understand because it's kind of all there we like to, we always like to adjust blame from off of us. In fact, you think of this young man, and I think one of the reasons why this story turns out so good is, you know, he didn't blame other things. He could have, he could have blamed the, um, the famine. He wasn't expecting that, it wasn't his fault. Or he could, ex- you know, blame the people that weren't generous so that he was starving and they wouldn't give him anything. But he took ownership for what he had done in his bad decisions. And I'll tell you, what did he say? You know, the first part of fixing a problem is admitting you got one. I'm sure you all, like me, have been with people who have made horrendous decisions, but they're always blaming their problems on somebody else, right? And one of the most important pieces of grace is to be able to have the grace to own our own brokenness in true humility looking and saying, "Hey, what is what is going on in my life?" Now as Christians, we understand this and we're of course spiritual, right? And I was thinking about this as I was preparing for today. You know, I've been in ministry a long time. I've talked to a lot of people hurting marriages. And I think almost every time the conversation starts like this. Well, I just want you to know that I'm not perfect, but <laughs> I'm not perfect, but if you knew my husband or if you knew my wife, you'd know why we're in this mess. And, and it's almost like, okay, we're going to give the little nod. Yeah, I'm not perfect. I'm sure I got my stuff. But the real problem's over here. And it takes grace and humility. And I would suggest, as we talked about last week, of understanding that Jesus is our sufficiency, that he loves me, that, that I am secure in his love, and knowing that he's all I need, the security and significance that we have in Christ that makes it a whole lot easier to be able to, be, uh, to deal with this idea of, of my own brokenness. And what's going on in my life? You know, so often, we, we, I've got to remember that when it comes to fixing a relationship, that the only person I can fix is me. I can't fix my spouse. I can't make decisions for them. I can't choose for them, just like they can't choose for me. And this is such a, to me, an important piece And to realize that, okay, if we're walking and we have issues and we have problems and and there's trouble that's going on, then the question really needs to be to me is what is maybe God trying to do in my life? What are some of the rough edges he's wanting to knock off of my heart? What are some of the places that he's wanting to polish in my life? I was thinking of James 1. You know when you go through hard times we often quote it count it all joy my brethren when you encounter various trials knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may become perfect or mature and complete lacking in nothing okay so consider it all joy learn what's god trying to teach you we put that in the context of our life but what about in the context of our marriage could maybe god be allowing this and bringing even this stuff to the surface because there's something in my life that he wants to mature there's something in my life that he wants to fix there's something in my life that he wants to change and ultimately the re- the truth is, is that I'm the only one that I can fix. And so, God, what is it that you want me to do? How can I grow? How can I deal with my own brokenness here? And then that leads to the grace that we need now to trust Jesus with the other person's brokenness. Ooh, now that's tough. Because that means I might have to live with it for a while, right? That means it may not get fixed exactly like I wanted to get fixed but it's the grace to know that just as I'm not perfect and God is working in my heart they're not perfect but God's not done with them God is working God is is bringing these things about God is is in control and so I've got I've got to trust him and that how they respond to the changes that I'm making in no way negates what I'm being called to do. You know, when you start looking at Scripture and what I'm called to do as a husband, there's no caveat to it. There's no clause. You you remember Ephesians 5? Husband, love your wife as long as she treats you well. No, that's not there, is it? Husband, love your wife. As long as you're getting enough sex i even checked that in the greek it's not there (laughs) husband love your wife as long as she submits to you no No, it's not on her it's on me husband love your wife as christ also loved the church gave himself up for her i would suggest to you that as men Christ has loved us a lot of times when we weren't real lovable. That's how I'm supposed to love my wife. And wives, before you put your smile away, let me remind you (laughs) what Peter says. And by the way, this passage is written specifically to a wife who has an unbelieving husband, so maybe not even sensitive to what God is wanting to say. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by your behavior as their wife. It's not contingent contingent upon what they do and how they respond but the humility the grace to own our brokenness and say God what do you want to change in me and I'm going to trust you with the other person but God what do you want to do in my life the second grace then is the grace to forgive which is such a, a big part of this passage that we've read You know, I don't know about you, but for me, forgiveness is probably one of the hardest things to extend to people. It's also a really hard thing to ask for. Uh, You know, for me, have you ever been really hurt? I mean, somebody just did you wrong, and and it just wasn't fair. And now all of a sudden, you know, I I, I sense the Holy Spirit's tugging on my heart. I need to forgive them, but that's Again, it doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. I, I'm letting them off scot-free and they made my life miserable. And, and, and how are they ever going to know? And, and how, are, how are we ever going to get a little justice and equity here? It's one of the hardest things that we're called to do. But it's such an important piece that God has, has given to us. And not only that, this idea to be able to ask for forgiveness and it's not done in a way that I'm going to ask so that you'll ask me because you really hurt me. But no, it's just simply I'm owning my brokenness. I'm owning my failures and so I'm coming and I'm asking you to forgive me for what I have done without any anticipation. In fact, I, I love this and You know, because this young man actually, you know, rehearsed it. Verse 18 I will get up and I will go to my father, and this is what I'm going to say to him Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one. Notice he doesn't, he's not going to try to explain it. It's not like, you know, hey, if you'd been a better dad, I probably wouldn't have left, or, you know, I got out there and then this famine came. No, it's just, I've screwed up and I need your forgiveness. It's such an important aspect and that only happens with that grace of humility that comes into our life. And then I would suggest to you that what you find is that when you talk about forgiveness, forgiveness is not about an emotional piece. It's about a a decision of the will. We choose to forgive you even see it in the context of God you know you, you think about the Holy Spirit it talks about how we grieve the Holy Spirit right when when we sin and we walk in disobedience and yet he chooses to forgive he chooses not to remember our sin he it's it's a matter of the choice we choose that's why you remember when Peter came to to Jesus and you know the Pharisees had this idea that if you you had to give forgive somebody three times right and so Peter doubled it and added one for good measure because he was really spiritual hey how many times am I supposed to forgive seven times and Jesus said no 70 times seven Let me ask you, if you're on about the 480th time here, do you think your emotion is really going to be in it? No. Because forgiveness is a decision of the will. We choose to forgive. We choose to not hold it against them. We choose to allow the offense. And you think about the Father here. You think about the disrespect, all that he had provided for his son. You think about the abandonment. I mean, for those of us that are parents, you know how much our kids mean to us. And now going to a far-off place, we don't know if they're dead or alive, and the sleepless nights and all of that. And yet I I love it because, you know, he sees his son, he goes, runs out, and he hugs and kisses him, and then the son gets to the, you know, the rehearse part, Verse 21. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And before he can get to the whole hired servant thing, the father just stops and says, quickly, go out, get a robe, get a ring, get sandals. I mean, this guy had hawked everything. And get the fatted calf, we're going to celebrate. Forgiveness is an act of the will. Now, I will tell you that biblically, then what we are to do, is we are to work on the emotional part and we do that by remembering that we have been forgiven. We do that when we remember what Jesus has done for us. You remember that verse in Ephesians chapter 4? Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. And so we begin to put in the context of our brokenness and what we have been forgiven us for. And that, that tends to start turning our emotion into understand that we need to have compassion towards this person. Third piece of the grace, because here's what happens. People will give forgiveness. Yeah, okay, I forgive you. But there's a coldness there. There's a, this is still an issue. This is still creating a barrier. And I would suggest that the next grace is the grace to be able to accept them and to restore the relationship and to me, this is such an important piece. And it is rooted in what we talked about last week. And if you weren't here, I encourage you to watch that podcast and, or get that book, Marriage Builder, that we, we mentioned last week. Because it goes into this, because this is the thing. If my sufficiency is in Jesus, then all that I need for those deepest needs of my life uh, security that I am loved and i 'm loved unconditionally I get from him i don 't get it from my spouse I get it from him and my sense of significance that i 'm of value that that it matters uh, I get from him and not from my spouse that 's what I need I get from him what I want or what i desire yeah I desire my wife to to love me I desire my wife to 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 you know be grateful for what I provide. But that's what I want. It's not what I need. What I need is I get from Jesus. And it's a completely different thing. Have you ever had one of those years when you're rolling into you know tax time this time of the year and it's just been a hard year and so you know things have not gone right the the car's broken down the the refrigerator's on the fritz you know you've got these big things that are coming and man you need you need this tax return right to be good and then you go and figure out your taxes and it's not near as big as you thought and man, a lot of times, you know, th- that, the emotion of that is huge. Compared to the years that, no, you know, everything's good. Our emergency fund is there. Things are great. And it doesn't work out. Well, it's, it's not that big of a thing. See, that's the difference between what I need and what I want. If everything that I need I'm getting from Him, then when I don't necessarily get what I want, it's a whole different emotion. Because it's not what I need. What I need... I find in Jesus and to me this is such an important thing that my relationship and what my heart needs I get in Jesus now there are things that I want from my wife that I desire from my wife but that's at a different level than the thing that I feel like I need and so we are able then to accept them that my wife is not perfect either just like I'm not perfect she has strengths and weaknesses that god's not done with her yet that just as he's working in my heart to make me more like jesus he's working in her heart to make her more like jesus and she's she's gonna drop the ball sometime and so this whole idea Of the grace to be able to have acceptance, to understand that they're not perfect, to be working together towards becoming the people that God wants us to be. And then, when there's been these problems, now to take the steps towards relationship, to restore the relationship. You know, what we see here is, you know, the the dad goes out and meets him and kisses him and embraces him. And then it's, we're going to throw a party and all this. And, you know, we're going to give him a ring. Give him sandals. Give him this great robe. Let me ask you. How did the father know that the son, maybe a month down the line, wouldn't decide to take off again and go hock the robe and the ring and the sandals and break his heart again? He didn't, did he? No. You see, there's a vulnerability here to start restoring relationship, to be able to say that, yeah, I I understand I've been hurt before, I understand that ball was gonna be dropped, but but now I'm, I'm going to take those active steps to restore it. And, and that kind of makes us vulnerable. That's why so often it's easier to put our walls up and to say, no, you know, I'm not going to go there. But that's what we got to do. Do you remember the story of David and his son Absalom? And remember uh, Absalom's sister Tamar was raped by uh, her other brother, their half-brother. And Absalom ends up killing them. Remember the story? And then Absalom takes off. And he goes to his grandparents, who were kings in in another kingdom. And three years, and finally David gets pushed to invite him back to Jerusalem. He invites him back to Jerusalem. But he never has him over. He never restores the relationship. And in essence, you had forgiveness, come back home. But there were never those steps of restoration. And the, the relationship was never restored. In fact, it became fatally flawed. And in all of our marriages, there are those moments when we've got to take the steps to seek restoration. Those steps to embrace and to love and to, yes, be vulnerable again. But that's what we're called to do. Don't let me mention this. Because to me, this is, this is one of the most misunderstood pieces when you talk about grace. And I would suggest... That nowhere in Scripture are we told that we have to enable bad, hurtful, destructive behavior. And I see this all the time, especially by people that are Christians. Because they're, they're a husband, they're a wife. And the, their spouse is, is just doing things that are hurtful. They're, break, they're, they're, they're abusive. They're abusive to the kids. They're abusive to their spouse. They're, you know, whether it's physical, verbal. I, I mean, I know two situations right now that are kind of right in the middle of this. And they've gone on for years. And the verbal, physical abuse. But, you know, I've got to stay there. I've got to be the sweet little Christian wife or the sweet little Christian husband and just put up with this. And I'm going, where do we get this? That's not what Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us that, within, even in the context of the church, that when you and I see a brother in error, what are we to do? We're to speak truth, right? We're we're to intervene. We're we're to fight for their soul. I mean, Galatians 6.1 puts it like this. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one with the spirit of gentleness. You don't go in haughty or I'm better than you, but you go and you confront them. You point out their sin. You try to talk them back. James puts it like this in James 5 My brother, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death, will cover a multitude of sins. You think of Matthew 18 of how when brothers and heir, you go to them. If they don't listen to you, you go get two or three others, you bring them in, and then you even get others in. They don't listen to that. We're to fight for the souls of one another. And this idea that, oh, because I'm supposed to love my wife, is, is that I'm just going to let her do anything, even though it's hurting her, it's hurting her relationship with her kids, it's hurting her relationship with me. Then I'm just going to sit by and you know, it's kind of like you know, today you can't help but think that if this kid, you know, he would at least had his cell phone. He called dad, you know, and dad now sends him money to stay out there with, with, with the, uh, the sheep and, or the pigs. No. We're not enabling bad behavior. You know, if somebody comes in here today and and they're strung out on drugs, is it loving for us to say, hey, let me go find you a needle and some drugs? It's not loving. Somebody comes in, they're battling with alcohol. Hey, let me go get you something to drink. No, that's not loving. And And can I just remind you, Jesus is not an enabler. Now, I know that in our culture, we've made Jesus into all you know, this idea that, you know, he's just love and he's just going to put up with everything. He's going to smile, kind of like the big Santa Claus grandpa in the sky. And I want to tell you that's not the case. Jesus loves you way too much to let you continue on with bad behavior without trying to get your attention. That's why have you ever figured out in your life when you start walking in sin, man, stuff just gets all messed up in your life and man, it's not going well. Why? Because he loves you too much. He knows that stuff that you're doing is going to destroy you. I mean, it's Hebrews chapter 12, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And I want to argue with you today that, that, that as a spouse, you are called to love your spouse well. And that means to speak truth and to speak it in love. But you don't do them a favor. And I I, I think of this one situation. It's a kind of family. For 27 years, she's put up with this abusive husband. So much so now the kids as they get grown don't want anything to do with him. He's out of a job again. It's just this thing. And and it's like, no, someplace you've got to say, this is not acceptable. Could I suggest a, a, a book? It's uh, written by, ma- by the, a man by the name of Henry Cloud. It's called Boundaries, but Boundaries for Marriage. How do you learn to love your spouse well when they're doing things that are hurtful? Here's the thing. It's, it's, it's a hard, it's a, it's a fine line in there. But the, tris- the wisdom to walk that fine line is found by the Holy Spirit. You know, we're told in James, if anyone lacks wisdom, let them ask of God who gives liberally to all men. How, how, do, I, how do I be a good Christian wife, a good Christian husband, and yet not enable destructive behavior on the part of my, uh, of my spouse? And I would suggest to you that ultimately all of this grace that we're talking about, the grace to to be able to own your own brokenness, the grace to be able to forgive, the grace to be able to accept and restore, where it's really found, it's not in a matter of doing things. It's not in a matter of check this box, check this box, check this box. It's a matter of living in Jesus, abiding in him. Because it's his grace. And as you lean into him and you grow in your relationship with him, he lives through you. The the whole John 15, the vine and the branches abide in Christ. And he will give you that wisdom. And of course, that all starts with knowing him. Man, if you're here today and you've not personally put your faith and trust in Jesus, can I just tell you that's where it begins? You know, we celebrated today with taking the bread and and the juice. And and what that was is it just reminded us that when Jesus came, he died to pay for our sins, to make us clean so we could be his children. He paid it all. And all we ask is that we would come and invite him to be our Savior and ask him into our life, and that's... The Bible says is the new birth, and that's when it all starts. And once you do that, he forgives you. He comes and lives inside of you through his Holy Spirit. And he now invites us into a relationship that will give us the grace that we need to continue to become more like him and to have the power, the wisdom, the grace to respond well in all these situations.